1: Oh, man, we had a ton of phone calls there in that last segment there. That was a really interesting conversation there with Ben West, he effectively is similar to a city councillor there in Portland. He's a county commissioner down there in Portland, Oregon. And they, of course, did decriminalization of drug possession three years ago. So they went first, and then we followed two years later. We are now one year into it. They're three years into it. And it's interesting to see what is happening in Oregon now because now they're walking it back. Even the, the Democrats that were most enthusiastic about decrim now saying, well, this is not working. we got an emergency here, especially with fentanyl. So they are looking at now recrim, maybe recriminalizing drug possession there. And when I asked him, what would be your message here to the people in B.C.? Said, Don't do it. Don't go down the same path we did. Now, when you talk about decriminalization, we're one year into it. I think one of the questions is, how do, we, how do we measure this? How do we know whether it's successful? How do we know whether we should continue with it? Well, have a listen to this. If we go back one year, have a listen to what the federal government said at the time, because the federal government approved this in British Columbia. We're the only province that's done this decrim. And Carolyn Bennett, who was then the federal minister responsible, she was asked here, how are you going to measure whether this is working? Listen to what she said.
0: What criteria are being used to measure the success of BC's decriminalization pilot project? Robust evaluation and research as we go forward. So do you commit to stopping decriminalization should these outcomes not be achieved? Absolutely.
1: Okay, robust research and evaluation here to measure measure the program to see if it's working. Now, Lisa LaPointe, the chief coroner, she was asked, we're one year into decriminalization, has she seen any of this research? Has she seen any of this data on whether it is working? Have a listen to what she had to say.
0: I don't have any, I haven't seen any data. I think it's going to be very hard to measure the impact, positive or negative, of decriminalization and i think that's where it's really important that we gather data
1: what happened to the robust research what what happened to the robust evaluation that we were promised at the start of this what happened to that you got no data on it now or one year into it we're going into year 2 of it now and we're also going into potentially an expanded safer supply of drugs as well, uh, with so many people dying from the toxic drug supply on the street. The other thing that's very concurrent with this as well is, of course, public drug use. And that's been a a problem there in Portland as well. You heard that Portland city councillor there describing what it's like on the streets of Portland right now. And the, the Chief Coroner, Lisa LaPointe, was asked about this. She was asked, what about public drug use? Is this a problem? We've heard lots of complaints about that. Listen to how listen to how the Chief Coroner talked about public drug use here. If we, if we got that clip, Lisa LaPointe on public drug use. Nope. Okay, remo- okay, we got it?
0: There's no evidence to suggest that the general public is at risk from people Uh, from public drug use. Seeing somebody use drugs in public is not comfortable, Um, but is that a risk to me? Is my safety at risk because I see that?
1: Okay. Get set to call me on that one when we get into the break here. All right. We also talked on the show earlier today about the BC Land Act and the looming changes there, especially the move to shared decision making with First Nations. And you heard my, you may have heard my interview there with the minister responsible, Nathan Cullen, who said, look, there is no veto here uh, that, that First Nations are not being given a veto over land use decisions in British Columbia. You've got the opposition saying the opposite of that. Listen to the leader of the opposition here, BC United leader, Kevin Falcon on this.
2: And joint decision-making means that if one partner doesn't agree with the decision, it doesn't go ahead. That means a veto. And that they intend to provide a veto to First Nations across the province that impacts 95% of public lands.
1: Okay, so the minister responsible told me this morning, no, that's not right. There will not be a veto for First Nations as they get into this joint decision-making on land use. Now, I did try to challenge them on some of that, though. I said, okay, wait a second here now. what The, the system right now is the government is supposed to make these decisions in the broad public interest. If the government, for example decides that a new mine is in the public interest in British Columbia maybe we need to dig up a lot of these new minerals to make all those car batteries we need and wind turbines okay so that would be in the in the public interest here we approve a mine and if the bc government thinks that is in the public interest but a first nation let's say the local a local first nation does not agree and does not want that project to go forward I, I asked him, are, are you telling me the government would overrule the First Nation here? If there's no veto, would the project go forward? Would the mine get built? And his answer was, well that, well, that could be difficult. That could be a challenge. That could be a challenging problem there. I'll tell you what. This is going to be an issue that may continue to develop here as we go forward. We're in an election year here now. So the election is in October. We're in a campaign mode here now already. And you can see how this is shaping up as a potential issue here in the fall as we get closer to an election. Get set to call me on that one, too. We had a lot of calls on that earlier as well. Speaking of that election, if you take a look at these opinion polls right now, man, David Eby and the NDP, they got to be loving this because the opposition is completely fractured and divided now. The former B.C. Liberal Party used to be a powerhouse dynasty party here. They are now in third place. They're way, way behind. Of course, they changed their name, B.C. United. And that does, does not seem to be sticking in the minds of the public. They are way, way behind. The B.C. Conservative Party, out of nowhere, out of the political wilderness, in clear second place now in the polls, could they end up as the official opposition here? if these polls remain the same. Now, I had John Rustad on the show recently, the leader of the B.C. Conservative Party, and I asked him, what about a merger? The problem is that you guys are divided now. What about a merger? You could merge the two parties, B.C. United, B.C. Conservative. you got perfect name right there, the United Conservative Party of B.C., why not bury the hatchet and do the merger, okay? And this is what Rustad told me. Have a listen to this. It's very interesting. We actually put a group together of business people to approach the United Party before Christmas and to actually have some of these conversations, and there was no interest from the United Party. Okay, there is no interest. He said he had a business group approach him. He said, look, we want to do this merger. Let's get going. Let's get together here, and maybe we can get that done. And I got Keith Baldry joining me here now. Keith, what do you think I'm of late, that now? Late, I know you're a little sorry. late. That's okay. I, I kissed the Blarney Stone a long time ago, so I can gab forever.
2: I noticed that driving in my car, racing to the legislature. <laughs> how, how, how long can Smith keep it up? I, I, I literally here? did kiss the Blarney Stone,
1: so it's no problem. So, you know, we were just, I, was, I just played the clip of Rustad, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, actually, they had a business group come to him and say, why don't you guys get together, bury the hatchet, and do a merger? And he said they actually approached BC United on it. And then United didn't want anything to do no, with it. Fal- we touched on this
2: yesterday. Falcon has said no to this. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I don't think that there's any incentive for Rustad to do something like this. Yeah, you know he's he's poised to win some seats. Yeah, and as we discussed yesterday, I think these two are racing uh, in a race to see who's going to be the official opposition, unless something dramatically ha- uh, happens. Yeah. I mean, the NDP has a twenty-point lead. Yeah, they're over, way they're, ahead. Way ahead. So yeah. it'd have to be a major stumble yeah. for David Eby to to uh, crash and and fall. So I think Rustad sees an opportunity to be the second party in BC. So yeah. why would he give that up uh, to let you know go back to the party that kicked him out? Yeah, there's you know there's always egos involved in politics, especially between those two. Yeah, Falcon, and Falcon, and Rustad. Neither of them are going to blink. The business community doesn't have the leverage it used to have. It used to be able to say, you know what, if you want our money, you do this. Well, they don't. They can't do that anymore. They I can't think pay.
1: that's a great point because corporate donations are banned, banned. now, you right? All the big money has been taken you out. You can't
2: wave a $50,000 check in front of a politician anymore. Right. And that's a big change in, in British Columbia politics.
1: Okay, The phone lines are open right now. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898, toll-free on your cell Let's go to your calls, and we'll speak to Lisa in Surrey. Hi, Lisa.
0: Hi. Yes. um, Yeah, I, I could talk on all of them, but I'll just focus on one specifically to do with the land titles. Um, See, that is an example of everything that Kevin Falcon is doing wrong in politics. He's trying to be a little bit more center than Rustad, but when I listened to the Jill Bennett show, he said that the proposal was all about a a veto, and he said the word veto a dozen times. Now, I've read the proposal. It's not mentioned in there anywhere. It's just meant to be a consultation specifically on land to do with Indigenous people, but then he's pulling these extreme right-wing tactics of lying to his base, scaring them up, instead of actually just debating the topic. So how am I, someone who's a BC Liberal supporter, supposed to support him Mm -hmm. when I don't see much light between him and the extreme right-wing?
2: It's interesting. It's interesting. Rushdad, I think, is pushing United to the right. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the first time I've heard Falcon talk about a veto, back when uh, the Liberals... Uh, supported UNDRIP, they rejected the notion that there was a veto attached to this. And that, again, that was some of, the, some of the criticism at the very beginning of the whole conversation about UNDRIP. Was it a veto? And uh, if he said, no, liberals agreed it wasn't a veto. Now yeah. Kevin Falcon is saying there is a veto. I think that's a reflection of their worried that Rustad is outflanking them, and they're, they're pushing hard to the right. And that leaves the center open, and that just is music to David Eby's ears.
1: Yeah, he's afraid to give an opening to Rustad to yep. run on. Like, I'm going to cancel this undrip, this UN declaration on the rights of indigenous well, people. I'll cancel it.
2: As Rustad as well. has Rustad. said that he wants to repeal undrip. That's right. So we'll see if United goes there. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised mm. if BC United comes up with a policy that says we'll repeal undrip. They're oh, not there really? yet, but he's now he's equating this land uh, use uh, change, land act changes, to akin to a veto. Oh yeah, frequently. So we'll
1: see. Chris in Vancouver. Hi, Chris. Go ahead.
0: Hi there. Um, I'd like to speak on uh, safe supply, decriminalization of uh, possession of 2.5 grams Mm -hmm. of uh, illicit drugs. I'm going to try and get everything in here. Um, People who use drugs, uh, I support uh, the decriminalization of possession. Um, People who use drugs are not criminals. However, because their drug of choice is illegal, they often need to engage in criminal activities to support their habit. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a friend who's been a drug user for over 20 years and has been in, in and out of jail and in and out of treatment because of his drug addiction. Um, He's currently trying to get a psychiatric assessment so he can get into a treatment center that requires a dual diagnosis uh, both uh, for addiction and for mental health. Um, But we are still waiting. Uh, We've been referred by his addiction doctor to mental health. We're still waiting to hear back. It's been two months. Um, So I really feel like the issue, you know, these aren't folks that are uh that are out drug seeking just for the sake of drug seeking the issue is the toxic drug supply um Mm -hmm. and that is why i support safe supply and i also support uh easier access to safe supply uh you know, I mean, you'll, you'll hear the saying, dead people can't get treatment. And that's basically what we're looking at here. We need way more treatment. We need easier access to treatment. My friend is homeless. He's on disability. Um, he's on uh, oat therapy. He's using a drug called Cadian, which is an opiate. But you can't just go in and get, uh, get the dose of the Cadian that matches uh, what his uh, fentanyl use is. You have to okay. be slowly titrated it up um and yeah yeah, go go ahead you want to make a final point go ahead I want to make a final point. People talk about, oh, we're, you know, the government is is, uh, supporting criminal activity. In my opinion, by not providing folks with a safe supply, they are supporting the criminal activity of gangs and drug dealers, um, Mm. shooting, you know, random Mm. shooting in the streets, uh, that sort of thing. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for a really good call.
2: That was was a great call. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And your call, I think, highlights the complexity of the yeah. issue, there's no easy answer. There's not one one size fits all. Yeah, decrim be part of the answer, maybe not. Recrim, we had recrim for years and more than eleven thousand. didn't people, work either. Eleven thousand, more than eleven thousand people died since the public health emergency was called before decrim came. Now,
1: out. the, the inter- one of the interesting things she said there was she believes that safe supply should be expanded and these drugs should be easier to get, maybe without a prescription, which Bonnie, which Elisa uh, Lapointe has called for. Um, this but this government
2: has rejected that. But
1: th- that's it. Now, no this this party, government that does not want to go there. And that's is, going
2: too far. Neither is BC United. Neither is BC Conservatives. Yeah. So there is no political party that I can see so far that is attaching itself to that prescription. Why not? I think they're that, worried about a blowback. I on think they're political. worried about a pushback from public opinion. Yeah. yeah, especially
1: if the death count continues to remain so high.
2: And the death count will likely continue yeah. to remain very high, whether we go back to recrim, whether or, or whether we continue on with decrim. Keith, thanks a lot. Sorry I'm late. I'll That's okay. I'll right be time tomorrow. <laughs>